So I'm, I'm sitting in, a, in the therapist's office, and I remember all I could think about in that moment was just how completely and just totally numb uh, that I felt. My productivity at that point in my life had completely tanked. Uh, I felt disconnected in my relationships. Nothing really made me happy anymore. I just kind of felt like I was spent. Uh, I couldn't sleep. And uh, I don't know if you can relate to this, but the way I would describe it is it felt like life was just kind of happening to me. And uh, that was a little more than 10 years ago now. But if someone had told me when I graduated high school that I was going to sail into a full-out burnout by the time I was 25, uh, I honestly would never have believed them. Uh, But let me tell you a little bit about how I got there. Um, Really, if you want the formula, it was a lot of difficult circumstances along with some exceptionally high demand. And then there's uh, some other things thrown in there as well. Uh, But just to give you a little bit of a window of what was going on in my life at that time. So uh, in less than a two-year span, uh, we'd actually lived in three different homes. And one of the moves there uh, was actually an international relocation that involved immigration paperwork and temporary housing, a whole lot of, of headache. Uh, In that same two-year span, um, just because of staffing changes and things like that, I actually worked for four different bosses in that two-year span. And uh, two of my four bosses crashed and burned due to their own mental health issues uh, while I was working with them. Actually, one of them managed to take down the entire organization uh, right as I was exiting. And while this was going on, uh, Amber and I had our first baby, and uh, which was, uh, was going to be really exciting. Uh, but we got that first baby via an unplanned emergency C-section uh, that was very scary. And uh, long story short, involved an extended recovery, uh, very long recovery for Amber. is very difficult, which was then followed uh, by an 18-month fight for the life of our baby that involved six different brain surgeries. This is all still within that two-year span. And then on on top of that, we had some, some family crises, some things that were going on uh, in both Amber and I, both of us, just some in our extended family, some things that were going on that were very difficult. Uh, we had two tax audits back to back. Thank you, uh, Canada Revenue, for that, by the way. Uh, and as well, a, a deeply personal betrayal uh, at the hands of a church board. This got kind of got tangled up in some of the nastiest and honestly shadiest church politics I think I've ever seen. And so those were the circumstances. That was in two years. That was all just kind kind of compressed in together. Um, But now let me tell you about me, because I'm the other side of that recipe card. As all this was going on, what I didn't know uh, was that I would soon be diagnosed with ADHD type 3 hyperfocus, which means that for me, getting off any project that really mattered to me and shifting my focus to something else, even things that were essential like rest and recreation and relationships, uh, was actually much harder for me than the average person, uh, but I didn't know that at the time. Uh, and as I grew up, uh, you know, as a kid, we developed these sort of patterns in our lives. I learned very early on a pattern of performance. So for me, personal validation and value uh, were attached to performance and achievement. And so words like great job and I'm proud of you for me were just kind of synonyms for the words that I really wanted to hear, which were, I love you and you matter. Then on top of that, there was my faith journey. So my journey of faith um, really kind of reached a a critical point when I was about 13 years old. And um, through a season of some incredible pain, some really deep questions, I kind of came out on the other side in this experience of wonder where I didn't just find Jesus in a very personal way, but that was also the time at which I felt like God had called me into ministry and really sensed him leading me in that direction. 
But despite my own experience as a young teenager that was just profound with Jesus, um, I noticed that so many of my friends, uh, people that I went to school with, even friends that I went to church with, didn't have that same experience. Like we served the same God, but for some reason they weren't actually giving their lives to Jesus the way that I had. And um, I just noticed that they felt alienated by the church. They were disappointed by the church's irrelevance. They were, they felt it was disconnected from real life. They were bruised by political and legalistic power plays. So with all that in my background, 2008 for me became the perfect storm. Because if you take a 25-year-old pastor who has vowed not to lose another generation to church irrelevancy and hypocrisy, and he also only feels validated and valued when he succeeds, and he also has a neurobiological struggle with hyper-focus and fixation, and then you add to that two years of nonstop 10 out of 10 crisis, emotional pain, instability, what you end up with is a person whose response to stress and crisis is just to work harder and harder and harder and harder and harder, essentially to overfunction for every dysfunction around you until there is absolutely nothing left in your tank to give away. And that's how I ended up in therapy. Because I had been bumping against the red line for so long that I was just absolutely broken. I could not keep going. And to be truthful, it really was the first time in my entire life that I had stopped, and it was not because I wanted to. I just didn't see it coming. And burnout was my accidentally moment. Uh, now, when we hear the word burnout, and it's used a lot nowadays, um, well, I'm going to be honest with you, it's actually only used correctly maybe 50% of the time at best. Uh, we should probably define what we're talking about here. Burnout is not fatigue. Burnout is not stress. Uh, burnout is not the same thing as overload, although overload will lead to burnout. Uh, burnout is actually something quite different altogether. From a clinical perspective, Burnout is actually major depression, but it originates from lifestyle. And so since burnout is a major depression that originates from lifestyle and not originating from a neurochemical imbalance, not originating from a complication of specific physiological conditions, there are actually a lot more prevention and treatment options than I think most people are aware of. But I think it's important that we know what burnout is just so we don't use it as a blanket term for, well, I'm just really fatigued right now. I'm just really stressed right now. I just got a lot going on. Because it's actually, that's not what it is. And so the question we got to ask ourselves is, so when, when does burnout become a thing? Like, when does this happen? And what burnout really, burnout becomes an inevitability when you're operating at your highest capacity for way, 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 way too long. Usually as a result of living through a season of very high demand for way, way, way too long. So just like, kind of think about it this way, it's kind of like a car where, you know, if you're keeping an eye on, on the gauge and it's been redlining for a little bit and you're like, well, I'm really pushing this thing and you just keep redlining and you just, and you just never pull it back. Like you're just making, that engine is operating beyond its peak capacity for too long, eventually something breaks. Eventually something cracks. Eventually you're pulled over on the side of the road and there's smoke everywhere. That's what burnout actually looks like. And so here's why we need to talk about this this morning. Because every single one of us in this room, we actually all have one common risk factor here. 
There's something that, this, this, is, this is not a respecter of persons. Like this is the risk factor for me and for you and for the person beside you. And this is what it is, that we live in a community and in a world without any sort of checks and balances whatsoever to protect people from burnout. That's our risk factor. So let me put it this way. Throughout my entire experience, you know, I never once had to break a rule or cross a boundary in any way to just put in more and more and more hours at work. There was never a single guardrail, never a single meeting with my boss or any kind of system and process where anybody said to me, whoa, 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 wait a second. How many hours did you actually put in last week? Because I'm not sure it's healthy. That just never happened. In fact, the harder we work, what we notice as we go along through our lives, the harder we work, the more hours we put in, the busier we are, the more we are celebrated. So working hard starts to feel like we're doing the right thing, even when it's the wrong thing. I don't know if your story is like mine at all, um, but I was called into my boss's office on many occasions in that two-year span for not contributing enough during, I don't know, my anniversary weekend or the week after I just finished leading a missions trip and I was really tired. But you know, I was never actually called into my boss's office to give an explanation as to why I had so many unused vacation days at the end of the year. See, that's what I mean when I say we live in a community, we live in a world where there are no checks and balances here. We live in a world where being over busy and over functional and over committed is actually celebrated. And the people who do the most stuff actually wind up on a pedestal. So the result is that those who neglect the most rest, those who skip the most recreation, and those who mostly forget about the care of their own souls are the ones who earn the greatest recognition. I mean, we live in a culture that celebrates busyness so subtly that we don't even notice. And one of the, the greetings that just makes me cringe, I overhear it all the time, is, you know, you see two people walk by. Hey, how's it going? Good. Hey, you keeping busy? Sure am. boy, keep at it. It's interesting how it's just a subtle little statement there, but what we're really doing is saying, awesome, as long as you're busy. In fact, you should be busy. That's the best thing you could do. I'm proud of you that you're busy. That's what I'm going to ask you about. You know, we live in the ideal environment for every one of us to completely break down one day when the stress gets to be way too much. And so that also means that we live in a world that's actually at odds with God's prescribed pattern for our lives and the way that we are actually intended to function, and what life is actually meant to look like. See, none of us, in, none of us plan on burning out. Nobody here is, is just sitting there thinking, you know, I think I'm going to do life this way, and then probably at this point, I'm just going to crash into despair. But unless we take seriously God's call to our, our lives for boundaries and development, every single one of us is at risk of going here. Every one of us. So this is a little bit of a, a different sermon if you haven't kind of figured that out already because rather than, you know, beginning with, hey, you know, let's open our Bibles and start here, uh, we've actually kind of started with a topic. And so uh, now what we're going to do is that we want to go into Scripture and actually say, what, well, what does God say about this? And in order to do that well, there are two exceptionally relevant passages of Scripture that we need to look at this morning if we're going to actually have any hope of navigating burnout and how do we do this. And so the first one is in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verses 20 to 21. Uh, uh, and this is what we read. You can follow along on the screen. Now, may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good 
for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So when you read that, what you kind of get is that, you know, central to the Christian faith is this idea that God actually wants to transform us from the inside out, to equip us uh, for everything that he's called us to do, but even more importantly, and especially to transform us into everything that God has actually designed for us to be. Like that is so central to what it means to follow Jesus. And we get this, we want this. I think every Christian kind of gets like, man, I just, I'm so eager for God to bring transformation in my life, for me to become exactly who I am meant to be. But in order for God to actually do that, in order for God to transform us the way he desires to, it requires something of us, and that is availability. You know, the passage that we just read in Hebrews uh, must be understood as having been completely underpinned and coming into, uh, it's written with the culture of the Old Testament, the ethics of the Old Testament as, as the backdrop. In fact, the author of Hebrews has kind of been working his way through key parts of the Old Testament story, key landmarks, pointing out the promises of life that, that God gave in the Old Testament and then pointing out how those promises are actually fulfilled when we are transformed in Jesus. That's kind of what's going on in Hebrews. And so when you think about being transformed into this person that God wants you to be, what we just read, that, that God is going to, by Jesus, the good shepherd, that he's going to transform you into this person that is totally pleasing to him, that is what you're meant to be, you need to understand it's going to be accomplished through Jesus, but the space in which it is going to be accomplished is actually a regular and a rhythmic and intentional sanctuary of rest and availability to God. And we know that because if you're going to write a New Testament book that is underpinned by the ethics of the Old Testament, you can't go very far in the Old Testament without stumbling across the frequent calls to Sabbath and rest. And look at the parallels here. So Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, where God says, Now remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Now six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. Now when we bring these two passages together, the Old Testament and the New, we see what God is getting up to, that there is a deep transformation waiting to take place in our lives through Jesus, but that it happens when we have a place of rest. That is the environment that Jesus does his work in our lives. And God makes it pretty clear that he's not joking when it comes to rest. I mean, and I don't know if you've, you've ever thought about this before, but I think for a long time, Christians and, and churches really kind of got the Sabbath thing a little bit backwards. It was, you know, well, we, we rest on the Sabbath for the sake of, well, you, go, you know, you got to follow the rules. It was all kind of about keeping your nose clean. It was the, you know, growing up, I don't know if anyone else grew up in a culture like this, but I grew up where, like, we, we, couldn't, we couldn't kick a soccer ball on Sunday because that was a Sabbath and it wasn't holy and it was like all that sort of thing. And you realize this is that people were trying to make the Sabbath this thing and saying, hey, look how good, God must be really proud of me because I made sure I didn't have any fun one day a week. That's really not what this is about. You see, it's interesting when it says that you got to keep this day holy. Do you understand? Holy is set apart. What is holy about? Here's, here's the thing. 
this day is set apart because when you rest, God makes you holy. You see, this is about the transformation of your soul. This is about you being conformed into the image of Jesus. This is about you actually becoming the person God intended you to be. And when you keep a day for rest, God makes you holy. He sanctifies you. He makes you whole. He brings transformation to who you are. But the great tragedy of the world we live in is that we live in a 24-7 society. So we only allow resting in two categories in our culture. It is either a luxury for the truly rich, or it is a vice for the truly lazy. Because the subtle message I think we kind of send in our culture is that resting after you've achieved something, like resting after you've, you've nailed it, you've hit it, you've arrived and everything's great. If you rest after that, well, that's good because that's your reward. But to rest before then, like, well, don't tell anybody. The idea is kind of like, well, if you work hard and you nail it and you earn it, that's fine. But if you're just like slogging it out and you're getting tired, well, you better just kind of, you know, drink four cups of coffee and keep going because, you know, you don't want to be lazy now. We kind of treat rest when you're asking to rest, but you haven't quite arrived at it. We say, well, you know, if it's absolutely necessary, do a little bit of it. But we certainly don't treat it like a universal commandment. So much so that being over busy and failing to stop is one of the cultural sins that I think most churches really blind themselves to. And, and I mean, let me just... Just explain what I mean there. You know, one of the things, Jacques Allal is a French theologian. He said it this way. He said that the, every, every Christian and every, every group of Christians, every church, finds itself participating blindly in the sins of its culture. Meaning that there are certain sins that are so normal in the culture you live in that they fail to register. You don't even realize they're there. I mean, if you've ever looked at the dark places of of church history in the 20th century and said, man, how could so many churches, so many people who believed in Jesus have supported racism? And you look and say, how on earth did you, like, you really, you thought that was good? And you look at, well, why is that? It's because... They were so steeped in a culture where that was normal that they actually failed to even recognize that this is a sin. This isn't okay. But we would be really naive to think that that's only something that happens to, you know, Midwestern churches in the 1950s. No, 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 no. There's always sort of cultural sins that are so normal that we just kind of say, well, is, is it really even a thing? Now, if you are looking for evidence that I'm right here, and I mean, you probably just think I'm right, but like, um, I always, when I write stuff down, I always think there's gonna be somebody there who's like, yeah, I don't believe you. So I always figure, I mean, what's, what's the evidence? Well, here's, here's just a thought. If you, if, you, if you maybe don't agree, so I'm not sure churches are blind to this. Well, let me ask you this. Um, how many burned out pastors and church volunteers have you ever met in your life? I mean, I know I haven't met any, but I thought maybe you would have. That was like a total lot of sarcasm, but I don't know if you caught that. So some of you are just like, oh, really? He's never met any? Yeah. Seriously. And, and here's the thing. For people who serve the great shepherd, the one who says, come you who are weary and burdened, come with me and I will give you rest. I think that seems very out of place. Very out of place. You see, Sabbath rest is a value we often speak of, but it's rarely one that actually shows up in our lives. 
And that's the hard truth. It becomes this thing, the command to Sabbath rest and the idea that to not rest is actually a sin. It's one of those sins that we just kind of wink at and move on with our lives. It's not one we take seriously and repent. So in the light of our present crisis with stress, with busyness, with the crash of depression, I think the verses we've just looked at, this idea that God wants to transform us and we need to have rest, those actually become a pathway forward for us. So whatever is driving you right now to the red line, and I don't know what it is, I'll tell you what, you do need to stop and you need to recognize two things. That number one, that God genuinely wants to restore and transform your heart. And number two, that he's going to do it through the rhythm of rest that you establish. Because regardless of what has the potential to bring you personally closer to burnout, whether it's the desperate desire for the approval of others, an insatiable desire to achieve, the inability to set boundaries in your life, the fear of losing or missing out, the expectation of our culture is just pushing you on. Whatever it is, the answer to what you need to do is actually still found in these two things. Recognizing that God wants to restore and transform your heart, that's who he is, and that he is going to do it through the rhythm of rest that you establish in your life. Now, what's interesting is that the Apostle Paul one of those most famous uh, sayings in the, from the book of Romans is he says, he calls all believers, he says, listen, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but instead be transformed as God does this renewing of your whole self, of your mind, of your soul, of every part of you. And I don't think that this is, this is I don't think there's gonna be very many places where we see this more true than when we actually start to look at Sabbath breaking and culture, and what it is. You see, here's the thing. Choosing to create a rhythm of deliberate rest in your life is the ultimate idol smash. It really is, because what, what you do when instead of just going along with the way of the world, instead of just saying, well, I guess I'll just be busy because that's what everybody does, if instead of doing that, you actually create an intentional rhythm of rest in your life, then what you're actually doing is you're saying, you know what? I trust God more than my ability to produce. I trust God more than I'll put my trust in the favor of those around me. I will trust God more than I will trust in the approval of society at large. Choosing to establish a rhythm of rest in your life is actually one of the most deliberate, idol-smashing things you can do because you're saying, I trust God above all else. I trust that he will restore and transform my heart. And so we take him seriously, or at least we ought to. We, we rest. We rest even when it's unnatural or probably more accurate, we rest precisely because it is unnatural because it's not the normal thing for us to do. So because this is a practical series and this is meant to be a very practical message, um, I just would like to share with you a little bit about how you can actually do this. I mean, I think you kind of get the underpinnings here. You've got the big idea. You get what makes burnout a really sneaky enemy and that the core practice of Sabbath and rest drives us to a better way of life. But we need to answer the really practical question about what do we actually need to do specifically? So first things first, here's what I want you to do. Um, I would like you to take my, my warning signs questionnaire and actually accurately assess how close you are to burnout. This is uh, an assessment tool that uh, I've developed um, just with some of this content. 
And if, what you can do, I mean, just go to sermon.link slash burnout, or if you point your phone at the screen, uh, that code will just ma- magically take your phone there. It's just a little PDF you download. Um, but I would really encourage you to, to start with doing that. And I don't care if you do it here, you do it when you get home, whatever, but you need to do this assessment. And the reason is because, well, we're going to get into this, but you actually need to be pretty honest with yourself. I think there's sometimes there's that question in our minds of like, well, like I, I think I'm okay, but sometimes I'm not sure if I'm okay and I'm just, maybe I'm distressed, whatever. So I wanna give you something that you can actually use to kind of start the process of saying, where am I actually? And then depending on where you are, um, you have to respond in one of three places. You're either gonna be in the space where you say, okay, I am in the space where I need to focus on burnout prevention. I'm not burned out, but I don't want to get there. So I'm going to be preventative. Or you're going to need to be like, woof, I'm in a bad way. So I need some burnout first aid going on right now. This is, I can't, I just can't keep going. Or you're in what we would uh, call late treatment, uh, which means that you are in big trouble and uh, we need to do some serious intervention. So um, why don't we start by just taking a look at what prevention looks like. And if you're not burned out, and I so pray that you're not, but what I have learned is that this is what people who don't burn out and are not burned out do. These are the things that if you don't want to get to burnout, this is what you do. And, and Sabbath is a core practice. You'll see it's right up there in number two, but it's not the only practice. In fact, um, one of the other things you're going to need to do is you need to decide what matters most. Because people who don't burn out make decisions based on values, not emotions in the moment. Now, that is where a lot of us kind of wind ourselves up in trouble. We kind of make a decision based on how I'm feeling. But if you'd really want to do a good job, if you want to make sure that you don't encroach into burnout, you need to try to figure out what is it that matters most to me? What are the things? What's the hill I would die on? What's the stuff that really, really counts? Because those are the things that need to be prioritized when I start making decisions. If you don't know that, then you can't actually put into practice one of the huge realities, which is that every single time that you say yes to something, you are also saying no to something. Whenever you say yes to that extra shift at work, you you have to take into account that I may also be saying no to my family. Whenever I say yes to watching just another queued up episode on Netflix, because you know that thing, it says next episode will start in five, four, three, two, one. Whenever you say yes to watching that, you're also saying no to 45 minutes more of sleep. And when you begin to understand that every yes is also a no, every no is also a yes, what you realize is that your life is really just about making sure that you're saying yes to the things that matter most. And so people who don't burn out, what they do is they say, this is what matters most, and my decisions are going to be about this. Now, we talked about that, observing the Sabbath, doing that well. But, you know, one of the things that I get asked all the time is say, how do you actually structure a rest day? Like, what, is that, what should that look like, like practically? I mean, do nothing or whatever. And so uh, this actually wasn't even in my notes, but I thought of it earlier. I thought maybe I should just, this is just, this is just for free. This is like a bonus. I'm not even going to charge you for this. Like this is just a little, little bit on the side. But if you're trying to say, well, what, is, what does it really look like to rest well? There's three components to a really great day of rest, by the way. Now, component number one is just recovery from the busyness of your life. It's just recovery. And that could look like a lot of things. It could look like, um, you know, maybe, maybe you sleep in a little bit. 
you know, if you're not the sleeping type, maybe it means that instead of, you know, grabbing a, a breakfast burrito from McDonald's on your way somewhere, you actually have some room and you're sitting down and you're drinking your coffee and actually reading the paper of all things. Be like, well, this is, this is living luxury right now. You know, like whatever it is, but there's some rest in there. There's some recovery. There's some, I'm not just going. My pace changes. Now, that's really important because at some point as that pace is changing in that first, that first space of I'm just going to take my foot off the gas pedal and not have to just be somewhere, that's actually one of the places we make ourselves available to God. So we say, huh, I can actually think a little bit. I can actually talk to Jesus a little bit here. I can, you know, I'm not just, it's, you know, it's not the 30-second the prayer between meetings. It's the I actually don't have somewhere I'm supposed to be right now, and I love that. So part of a day of rest is just having some unstructured time. But the second third of a great day of rest is uh, actually going to be in recreation. And you got to look at that word and what it means. Recreation is recreation. I'm not talking about distraction. I'm talking about then actually breaking a sweat or engaging yourself in something. You're like, whoa, I thought this was a day of rest. Hear me out. Engaging yourself in something because you want to, not because you have to, if that makes sense. So what that means is, is that, like I'll give you an example. For me, a couple years ago, my recreation season for about two and a half months was that I just decided I wanted to build my kids a treehouse in the backyard. Now, here's the thing. That would have been a really, really bad recreation day of rest thing if I was a construction worker by trade. Because I'd be like, man, I've been swinging hammers all week. Why would I want to do it right now? But the thing is, because it's not me and because it was different, it was just like, oh, I could just, you know, and I was out there breaking a sweat. But the thing is, at the end of the day, I was good tired, not bad tired. It was like, I got to do something, not because someone said I had to, not because I had an obligation. It was just something I wanted to do. I'll tell you what, guys, like this was the best Sunday you could have come to church ever because you're, you can write this down. I'll sign it for you if you want. But what that means is you should probably go fishing. Like, I'll sign it. I will. I'll just, I'll just write, you just write that down. Like you'd be like, you know, you know, and then, seriously, because I mean, unless you're a commercial fisherman, in which case, sorry, but that's probably a bad idea. It's just more work. But what I mean is breaking a sweat, doing something that you want to do is very different than breaking a sweat doing something you have to do. That's part of rest. That's part of Sabbath. And then the last thing that should be a part of your day of rest is there should be some activity in there that is preventative maintenance. It is the setting you up for the week. And what I mean by that is, is if, you know, you're kind of getting to the end, it's been a great day, you had some great time with Jesus and you came to church and you saw some people and it's just, it just, just unstructured. You on a whim went out and grabbed some lunch with some people and it was just because it was unstructured. And then maybe you did go fishing that afternoon. You get home and you're saying, what am I going to do? Before you go to bed, do something that is going to bless bless you for the next six days. And what I mean by that is, is maybe it's when you say, you know what, I've had a great day, but I'm going to go ahead and throw that laundry in right now because I'll be really glad I did that tomorrow and it's going to set me off in the right way. Or maybe you say, you know what, I've got 45 minutes. I'm just going to take a few minutes to organize my closet because it's just chaos. And I just know that every day this week I'll have less stress because this was done. That's what it looks like to take a day of rest is you've got those three components. Anyways, that's not part of my notes. That's, like I said, it's just for free. I won't charge you for it. You just, you just take that and do that and uh, you're welcome. But um, anyways, um, but that's what we do. We take some rest. Now, the other thing we gotta do is practice some digital hygiene. And that is a really nice way of saying, turn off the device. Turn off the screen, bury your phone for a little bit because being consistently accessible is not a habit that people who don't burn out have in their lives. 
constant screens, constant accessibility, that's a bad idea. Go to sleep. Go to sleep. Turn it off and go to sleep. Tell you what, go to Walmart and buy yourself a $9 old school alarm clock and leave your phone down in your kitchen. Go to sleep. Practice some digital hygiene. I know somebody's like, well, I can't go to sleep because it's my alarm clock. Do you know, we had alarm clocks before they invented iPhones. It's a weird thing. It's shocking, but they do sell them. I know. Do life with the right people. This is something that everyone who does, when people don't burn out, this is one of the reasons why. They're doing life with the right people. Not every person you have in your life should be in your life. I'm just going to say, I'm, I'm saying a lot of things today. You might need, if you need a permission slip, I'll sign it. That's fine. But not everybody in your life should be in your life. You need to do life with the right people. There's a pastor in Florida who said one time I was there, he said, he said uh, you know, the reason that God invented caller ID was so that when losers call your house, you can just let the phone ring. There are some people that just do not belong in your life. And sometimes we actually have to make choices and say, listen, I'm going to love you because Jesus loves you and he loves you and that's why I love you but I'm not giving you access to my life and certainly not in high quantities because toxicity in relationship contributes to burnout so quickly. So you do life with the right people and then you gotta be disciplined. Remember we talked about deciding what matters most. Well, you plan and obey your calendar. You look at your calendar and say, well, this is gonna go here and this is gonna go here. Do you know what's weird? If you never actually have a spot in your calendar that says, this is when I'm going to rest, you won't. So we plan our calendars and then we obey our calendars because we already decided what matters most. And most importantly, we listen to God's voice because one of the things that I know I've been through is I've struggled through some of these things about like, how do I not burn out? I sit there and be like, God, like, I don't, what, do I, what do I even do? Like, what, why is this so hard? And I, sometimes I just think God just kind of says, well, like, I didn't even ask you to do half of those things. So we listen to God's voice and say, God, what are you telling me is important? We listen to God. God's the one who transforms and restores our heart. So this is what it looks like if you're in prevention. And I hope you're there. I hope that these are things that you can practically put into your life. But if you are already burned out or, or and maybe you caught it early, maybe you could just kind of look at your life and you say, well, that's all well and good, but I don't think I've practiced more than one out of six. And I just, honestly, I'm actually struggling a lot something's changed in me. I'm not the person I used to be. And you're starting to see those symptoms of major depression in your life, but maybe it's relatively new. If you are actively burning out right now, but we're catching it early, then this is what first aid looks like. These are the things that you would do. You start with an honest self-inventory. And I think that tool I gave you could be a starting point. But what I mean by a really honest self-inventory is that, you know, I, here's the thing. If I, were to, if I were to try to lie to somebody, like any of you, if I were to try to lie to you in like a personal conversation, I, I don't get too far because, you know, you kind of hear the Holy Spirit being like, what are you doing? It's like, oh, no, like, you know, it just feels wrong. Like, I just can't lie to you. The weird thing is I can lie to me like all day long. Like all the time, you know, just last week, you know, I had actually, ironically, I'd put it in my calendar that I was going to work out on, on a certain day. And, and, and I, I got, you know, time came and, and I didn't. And then I said to myself, why aren't you doing it? And I said, well, you know, Ryan, you, you had a really long day. And um, also, um, you, uh, you ate rather sensibly, so that's good. And since you had a long day and you know, you didn't put bacon on your hamburger. Like, really? 
I, it's really fine. Like you're, you're, you're good. And, and, I, and I just listened to myself and I said, thanks, Ryan. I agree with you. You're, you're a smart guy. And um, I just won't do that. Now, here's the thing is that I, that's dumb. Like I lied to myself and I let my, we like lying to ourselves. But if you are actually burning out, you need to actually be really honest with yourself. You need to be able to look into the mirror and tell yourself the truth about how you got here. Which is, I'm burning out because I don't like saying no to people because my value is attached to other people's approval of me. Now that stings. You look in the mirror and say that. You're like, oh, I don't want to say that. I know, but that's actually how you got here. And you're not going to recover unless you can actually tell yourself the truth. So you need to be honest with ourselves. And then with that, it's now it's time for a timeout. Um, you know, if you've raised a toddler, you know all about timeouts. The problem is when you start to burn out, you start behaving like a toddler. And I mean it because toddlers, when you give them a timeout, it's because they're just bouncing off the walls, breaking things, showing temper tantrums. I wanted this. No, I wanted that. I don't even know. Down to the, it's just all over the map. And when you start burning out, you start looking a little bit like that. You just kind of get the adult version short-tempered, I don't know what I want. I'll tell you what, you're miserable. Nobody really wants to be your friend right now. It's time for a timeout. And the reason you need to take a timeout, and by the way, what that looks like, I'm just not letting you wiggle your way out of that. It's a whole weekend away with Jesus. And the reason you got to do that is you are actually making up for all of the little bits of rest that you did not do for years. And it caught you. And so a timeout is not a punishment. A timeout is a reset switch where you need to take your phone and turn it off and put it in the glove box so that, you know, at least if, you know, you break down on the way home, you can call someone. But you don't bring it with you. It's just you and it's a weekend and it's creating some space and it's opening your Bible and saying, okay, Jesus, I'm here now. And I believe that you said that you would transform and restore my heart. And I just need to make space. I need to make room for you to do that. And I'll tell you what, the challenge here is that you're already burning out. So you're looking at your calendar saying, well, I can't do it this weekend. I got that. I can't do it this weekend. I got that. I can't. You know, um, someone just needs to, you know, give you permission to slaughter some of the things on your calendar. And you got to ask yourself, what's more important, that obligation that isn't really going to matter anyways next weekend or the state of my own soul you take a time out and go away and listen to Jesus and make space and invite him to come and to do what only he can do. And in doing so, you need to safeguard your boundaries because you will never be as vulnerable as when you are in the early stages of burnout. You will be so vulnerable because, you know, you're feeling pretty bad about yourself, which means that's when, you know, when every time something comes up and says, hey, do you want to do this? You say, yes, of course I want to do this because it kind of self-medicates. I'll tell you what, if you were just nailing your New Year's diet, like, boy, were you just killing it. I mean, you didn't eat any cake. Like, you're just being like, man, I am cake-free for 27 days and counting and whatever. But you start to burn out. You can probably kiss that goodbye because the truth of the matter is you are more vulnerable to temptation when you are burning out than just any other time because you will do anything to feel better at that point. So you need to be really intentional about your boundaries and saying, since I'm here, I need to really build up some boundaries here because I'm probably not going to make the wisest decisions. 
And now is when you ask your people. Remember we said you do life with good people? You need to ask your people for help. You need to say, listen, this is where I'm really at and I'm struggling. It's because I'm a people pleaser and it's so hard for me to say no, but I'm in trouble and I need help and will you step in and help me? And these are the boundaries I'm trying to set and can you help me with this? And you invite people into your life. And then here's the big one. You say no to all new tasks because you're already burned out. And I know some of you, like this will be the test. You're gonna get a phone call from the president of your company who's gonna say, hey, listen, we're doing this thing and you're like one of our top guys. And so we're gonna do this retreat for our top performers. We're gonna go down to Cabo for a little bit and it's all expenses, but you're just gonna come and we're just gonna be great. We're gonna have meetings, we're gonna meetings on the beach. I'll tell you that, it's gonna be awesome. And you're gonna sit there and be like, well, I should definitely, no, no, you see, no. No, I can't do it. Can't make it. Get someone else. You're like, are you nuts? As the president of the company, are you nuts? Do you want to light your soul on fire? You don't need that. It's not going to help you. All the things that you push off in order to make room so that you feel special when you go to that little outing are just going to take you from early treatment burnout to late treatment burnout. Now you're really in trouble. You need to say no to all new tasks when this is where you are and you tell your friends what's going on, and you give them the permission to hold you accountable and to veto things off your calendar, nothing new. And then we press into God's grace. See, one of the downsides of burnout, as remember, said, is major depression. So when you're dealing with major depression symptoms, you've got that voice inside of you that actually says, you're just a, you are an epic failure. How did you let yourself get here? Boy, you better not let people know just how depleted and just how a mess it really is. You better not let people see just how vulnerable you really are to the approval of others. Boy, you have screwed it up so bad and what are you even doing? See, that's the voice in your head when you're burning out because that's the voice in your head when you're dealing with depression. And the reality is though, is that God knew what he was getting when he called you. He called you anyway. When you take that time out to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm not doing so well. I think I'm burning out here. You don't find this God who looks at you and says, yeah, it's because of this and this and this, you big idiot. No, what you actually find is that, so there's this good shepherd who says to you, hey, come to me, you who are weary and you who are overburdened and let me give you rest. It's in this season that your only job is to press into God's grace and receive what he has for you. Now, if you are late in the game, I mean, this works in the first, like you just crossed into burnout. This works really well. You kind of pause everything, say, we're gonna not keep going. We're gonna make some changes. But if you are late in the game and things have gotten bad, well, it's time to take a different approach. Because first of all, I'll say, if you are in the stage where you're actually well past this, if you still have friends, and I mean if. Because one of the realities of major depression and burnout is a desire to isolate yourself. If you still have friends, they are concerned. Your spouse may be nudging you in the ribs hard throughout this point of the message. If you are well past this, you're in trouble, everybody knows it, then we move into severe case treatment. What is late treatment like? Well, there's actually only really one thing, and that's you just you go to therapy. 
And it's funny because when I say that, and I mean, I do this as a seminar sometimes, and when I say that, people are like, oh, yeah, okay. Hey, like, what else though? I'm like, no, like, like that's, that's what you need to do. Because when you get to the point where this is well advanced, you're not digging out of this by yourself. You're now dealing with things. Like, this could take you out. You could crumble. You could lose your marriage. You could lose your job. You could lose everything. You need to, if you are in severe burnout, there are no shortcuts. You need professional intervention. You will not get out of it. You need help. You need it. And that's where I landed. I was 25 years old and saying, I could lose everything. I guess what I need is help. So no matter where you are this morning, whether you're in prevention or early treatment, late treatment, whatever it is, there is a starting point right now that is the bare minimum that I, I need you to commit to. This is, this is what you need to do. This is what you have to get into. You need to choose to reclaim the rhythm of Sabbath in your life. That's, what has, that's the starting point. Because there might be some more specifics that you do as you look at that. But the best starting point I can give you is that it's time to reclaim the rhythm of rest in your life. Because so much rides on it. So much is, is riding on it. Because what about your family? What about your job? What about our church? See, when you think about your family, you have to ask yourself, am I, is my family going to conform to the pattern of this world where, you know, I'm just going to, we're just going to go, 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 go. And, you know, the reason I got my kids and like, you know, they play every single sport and four instruments. And why? Well, because my neighbor's kid does. And I just don't want to, I mean, I don't want to think I'm not loving on my kid. And, you know, the reality, your neighbor's kid's going to like take two years off in the middle of university and crash and burn and go to therapy. And they're not going to go back and thank their parents and be like, wow, I'm just so glad that we never had a break since junior kindergarten. They're not going to say that. Stop conforming to the pattern of this world. There's a better way. There's a natural rhythm that works for your family, that works for your kids. And, and, and I just want to just make a disclaimer here. One of the most, <clears throat> one of the most challenging places is to be. If you are a single parent, you will look at this and you will say, how on earth? Because I got to work and my kids are already missing out. I got to be mom and dad, like all that. I'm going to try juggling all this stuff. How on earth? And, and I just need to just, I need to say this right now. You need to take the pressure and the guilt off of you for a second because more than your kids need stuff and more than they need programs, more than they need anything, they need you. And it's okay for you to take a step back. And it's okay for you to sit down with some friends and say, I don't know how to navigate it because, I mean, I got to work. I got to pay the bills. My kids are doing this. I got to make it work, but I don't know how. It's okay to grab some friends and say, I don't know how to do this, but I need help. Reclaim the rhythm because your kids need you more than they need a schedule full of things. You have to be in a good place. What about as business owners from professionals. Okay, so here's the thing. Exodus is a little bit touchy there, isn't it? Because it actually says, um, you're going to take a day of rest and so will your servants, i.e. If, if you're a business owner, you have, you have people that work for you, then you have to say, well, what does it look like? Am I going to conform to the pattern of the world and how I conduct my business and how I lead my employees and how I relate to my coworkers? Many of us have people who work closely with us or for us, and we have a responsibility as Christians to make sure that we are not requiring a 24-7 lifestyle from those that we lead. What does it look like to not be conformed to the pattern of this world when it comes to our workplaces? 
And lastly, what does it look like to not be conformed to the pattern of this world in terms of how we do church? Are we going to participate as Christians in a culture of burning people out with our programs and expectations? Do we expect our volunteers and our pastors to go 24-7? Do we ever check to see, to make sure that the people in the church doing ministry are actually taking Sabbath? See, that's our responsibility as a community, we have to decide what kinds of people will be together. You got to do this for you, but we got to do this for us. And I think that we can be better. I think that we could actually be transformed. I think that we can create a culture of Sabbath and rest to care for people to prevent burnout. Because when we do, I'll tell you what happens is when we do that in our families, in our businesses, and in this church, what happens is, is when everyone else in the world is burning out hard, when they are just past their limit and they are desperate, the question we ask themselves is, who's modeling a better way? When we reclaim the rhythm of God's rest for our lives, we actually invite people into something so hope-filled in a world that has precious little of it. We have a responsibility and we can do that. That's what God's called us to be. Would you stand together? I'd love to pray for you. Father, we ask this morning that you would just help us to, to see and have insight into our lives. God, we just thank you so much that you are the God of rest and restoration and transformation. And Father, my prayer is that as, a, as your people, that we would not be conformed to the pattern of this world, that we would not burn out, that we would find ourselves in intentional rhythms that you've led us to. In Jesus' name we pray. You know, just after the service here, if, um, if any of you would like prayer, because maybe this touches you. Maybe this is like, this is where I am. Maybe you're burning out hard. Maybe you think you're going there. I'll tell you what, if you just feel like, I just would love it if someone would pray with me. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you what you're going to find. You're not going to find uh, in that prayer room over there someone who looks at you and says, oh yeah, well, here's a bunch of advice. What are you doing this this way? They're actually there to represent the same grace that Jesus has for you, to say, God's going to bring transformation. If you need prayer, we'd invite you. You can join our prayer team in the prayer room immediately after the service. Um, just as you go, I'd love to give you a blessing. That's just my tradition. Uh, in ancient times, when someone wanted to give another person a blessing, they would raise their hands like this, and those who wanted to receive a blessing would do the same. And I would just invite you, if you would like to receive a blessing from the Lord, to raise your hands. May you value what God thinks of you above all else. May your heart be quick to find his presence. And may the life of rest that you live give hope to those around you. Amen. Be blessed.